Chapter Twenty One of A Man of Honor by George Carey Eggleston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty One Miss Barksdale Expresses Some Opinions. Miss Sudie Barksdale was a very brave little woman, and she needed all her courage on the present occasion. She felt the absolute necessity there was that she should sit out Cousin Sarah Ann's conversation, and she sat it out, in what agony it is not hard to imagine. When that lady drove away, Miss Sudie ran off to her room, where she remained for two or three hours. Upon her privacy we will not intrude. Colonel Barksdale called Billy from his office, and giving him the newly discovered facts, asked his opinion. Billy was simply thunderstruck. "'I can't understand it,' said he. "'Bob certainly had that money coming to him from his last year's salary, for he told me about it the day we first met in Philadelphia. If Bob isn't a man of honor, in the strictest sense of the term, I never was so deceived in anybody in my life. And yet this business looks as ugly as homemade sin. Bob knew perfectly well that if you or I had been at home when he left, we wouldn't have allowed his protested draft to stand over at all, but would have paid it on the spot. He knew, too, that if he couldn't pay when he promised, he could have written to me or to you explaining the matter and we would have lent him the money for twenty years if necessary. I don't understand it at all. It looks ugly. It looks as if he meant to make that money clear. "'Well, my son,' said Colonel Barksdale, "'I'll give him one chance to explain, at any rate. I'll write to him immediately.' Accordingly, the old gentleman went to his library, and was engaged for some time in writing. After a while there came a knock at his door, and Miss Sudie entered. "'Come in, daughter,' said he tenderly. "'I want to talk with you.' "'I thought you would,' said the sad-eyed little maiden, "'and that's why I came. I wanted our talk to be private.' "'You're a good girl, my child,' then, after a pause, this is bad news about Robert. Yes, and from a bad source, said Sudie. I do not understand you, daughter. We have the best of authority, Uncle Carter, for saying that men do not gather grapes of thorns. But, my child, I suppose there can be no doubt of the facts in this case, so far as we have them. We know the circumstances of Robert's indebtedness to Edwin, and whatever her motives may have been, Sarah Ann would hardly venture to say that he has neither paid nor written in explanation of his failure to do so, if he had done either. Perhaps not. Robert ought to have paid at any cost to himself if it were possible, and if it were not, then he should have written in a frank, manly way explaining his inability to fulfill his promise. Appearances are so strongly against him that I have written with very little hope of eliciting any satisfactory reply. 
"'Will you mind letting me see what you have written, Uncle Carter?' "'No. You may read the letter. Here it is.' Miss Sudie read it. It ran thus. "'I have just now learned that you have wholly failed to fulfill your solemn and deliberate promise made on the eve of your departure from Shirley, to the effect that you would, without fail, take up your protested draft for three hundred dollars, held by your cousin Major Edwin Pagebrook, on or before the fifteenth day of this current month. It is now the thirtieth, and hence your promise is fifteen days overdue. I learn also that you have failed to write in explanation of your delinquency, or in any way to account or apologize for it. Permit me to say that as your conduct presents itself to me at this time, it is unworthy the gentleman which you profess to be, and I now demand of you either that you shall give me immediately a satisfactory explanation of the matter, and that, I must confess, sir, seems hardly possible, or that you shall at once write to my niece and adopted daughter, releasing her from her engagement with you. Having finished reading the letter, Sudie handed it back to her uncle without a word of comment. Not that she was in this or in any other case afraid to express her opinion. Her uncle knew very well, when he gave her the letter, that she would say absolutely nothing about it until he should ask her, and he knew equally well that upon asking her he would get a perfectly honest expression of her thought whatever it might happen to be. But Colonel Barksdale was, for the time, afraid to ask her opinion. He was a brave man and an honest one. He was known throughout the state as a lawyer of great ability and as a gentleman of the most undoubted sort. And yet at this moment he found himself afraid of a young girl who stood in the relation of daughter to him a girl who was never violent in word or act, a girl who honored him as a father and loved him with all her heart. He knew she would unhesitatingly speak the truth, and it was the truth of which he was afraid. He had not been aware, when he wrote, of any disposition to do Robert injustice, else, being a just man, he would have spurned the thought from him but now that he felt bound to ask Miss Sudie for her opinion of his course, he became uncomfortably conscious that there had been other impulses than just ones governing him in his choice of language. At last he asked the dreaded question. "'What do you think, daughter?' "'I think you have not done yourself justice, Uncle Carter, in writing such a letter as that. The letter is not like you at all.' well do you mean why and wherefore yes why and wherefore sudie because it is not like you to do an act of injustice and when you are betrayed into one you misrepresent yourself but wherein is my letter an act of injustice my child it assumes unproved guilt and I believe even criminals are entitled to a more favorable starting point than that in their efforts to clear themselves. 
"'But, Sudi, I have not assumed that Robert is guilty. I have asked him to explain.' "'Yes, and in the very act of asking him to explain to you, his judge, you have assured him from the bench that the court believes an explanation impossible.' "'Have I? Let me see.' After looking at the letter again, he resumed, "'I believe you are right about that. I will rewrite the letter, omitting the objectionable clause. Is that all, Sudi?' "'Perhaps when you come to rewrite the letter, you will see that its tone is as unjust as any words could possibly be. It seems so to me.' "'Let me try my hand again, daughter.' Keep your seat, please, while I write a new letter instead of rewriting the old one. There, how will that do? he asked, as he handed the young woman his hastily written note. My dear Robert, we have just been hearing some news of you, which I trust you will be able to contradict or explain. It is that you have failed to keep your promise in the matter of your indebtedness to Major Pagebrook and that you have not even offered a word by way of apology or explanation. The peculiar relations in which you now stand to my family justify me, I think, in asking you to explain a matter which, unexplained, must reflect upon your character as an honorable man. Please write to me by return mail. That is more like you, Uncle Carter but I am sorry to find that you are convinced in advance of Robert's guilt. You propose to sit in judgment upon his case, and a court should not only appear, but be free from bias. Why, my daughter, I can hardly see how there can be any possible excuse in a case like this. You cannot deny that both facts and appearances are against him. I doubt whether we have the facts yet, Uncle Carter. Aside from my knowledge of cause of Sarah Ann Pagebrook's general character, I saw her do a dishonorable thing once. I saw her open and read a letter which was not addressed to her, and I have no faith whatever in her or in any statement which comes from her or through her. Colonel Barksdale was probably not sorry that the conversation was interrupted at this point by the entrance of a servant announcing a client. He felt that it would be idle to argue with Sudie in a matter in which her feelings were strongly enlisted, and he felt that in calling Robert to an account he was doing a simple duty. He was, therefore, rather pleased than otherwise to have an accident terminate a conversation which did not promise to terminate itself agreeably. Miss Sudie went to her room and wrote to Robert on her own account. I am not at liberty to print her letter here, as I should greatly like to do, but the reader will readily guess its general nature. She told Robert in detail everything that had been said concerning him that day. She told him of her uncle's anger, and of the probability that everybody would believe him guilty if he failed to establish his innocence. But she assured him that she, at least, 
had no idea of doubting him for a moment. "'For your sake,' she wrote, "'I hope you will be able to offer a convincing explanation. But whether you can do that or not, Robert, I know that you are true and manly, and not even facts shall ever make me doubt your truth. I may never be able to see how your action has been right, but I shall know, nevertheless, that it has been so. My woman love is truer, to me at least, than logic, truer than fact, truer than truth itself. All this was very illogical, very unreasonable, but very natural. It was just like a woman to set her emotions up in a holy place and compel her reason to do homage to them as to a god. And that is the very best thing there is about women, too. You and I, sir, would fare badly if in naming a woman wife we could not feel assured that her love will ever override her reason in matters concerning us. End of chapter 21